Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illumine our hearts with your truth. We ask, Lord God, that we would come face to face with the living God as we hear your word proclaimed. And may we be comforted, may we be challenged, may we be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. I saw a story a couple of years ago about a new invention in Japan. Uh, it was called Gatebox. And Gatebox is, just think, um, what is it called? Like Siri or Amazon Echo for geeky comic book nerds in Japan. And so it was kind of like a virtual girlfriend. And so it had a little hologram in it where it showed like a anime, you know what anime is, Japanese cartoon, uh, female character. And you know, when you come home, you know, she would greet you. Um, you know, the technology was all integrated so that, you know, you could text her and she would text you back. Um, she could adjust the temperature for you before you come home, she could turn the lights on for you before you come home, and just kind of have a sense of, uh, I guess, a being, being there for you if you were living kind of a single, lonely man's life. And, you know, I, you know, it gets kind of extreme responses. Some people are like, oh yeah, I could totally see that, that'd be great. And others are just mock it, right? Like, this is ridiculous, why would you have a virtual girlfriend like that? Um, now, I think regardless of what you think about it, I find it hard to believe that anyone would not think that these men deep down would want to have a relationship with a real woman rather than a virtual hologram girlfriend, you know, that you program, that you control, that you plug into the socket so that it works. Um, and I think in the same way, when we think about our relationship with God, we have to ask ourselves, would we rather have a God that we can control and program the way we want into the image of what we want, or would we rather be in relationship with a God who is his own person, who we could relate to in the strength of his own personality? And to ask the question, really, if you're in complete control of a person or a God, can you really have a relationship with a being like that? So we're going to be looking at this commandment today, which you heard read earlier, and, I, and I've said last week, and if you weren't here last week, we're looking at the commandments in light of the narrative, the biblical narrative of creation, fall, redemption, consummation. And so we're going to look at the Ten Commandments in light of that, in the sense of, I believe every commandment shows a pre-fall desire that God has put in us. But it also shows the end, the consummation of how in Jesus that desire is fulfilled. And yes, God does call us to obedience to these commandments, but that obedience to those commandments bring life. So let's look at this second commandment, which you heard read earlier. And as you see the title of the sermon, I believe it shows there is desire in all of us for a personal relationship with God. Now, this might sit funny with you. I don't know if you even know what the second commandment is, but I'll just read the abbreviated version, not the whole thing that was read earlier. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the sea. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God. And this is one of I think the most misunderstood commandments and also one of the most, the most neglected commandments at the same time perhaps because it's misunderstood. But it's essentially about who God is and how, therefore how we are to worship this God. It's about who God is and how we are to worship this God who reveals himself to us. 
some people do think this commandment is really primarily about not making any kind of image of God. No painting, no sculpture, no artwork, no action figure, no felt Jesus for the Sunday school kids, right? Nothing. No image to be made of God. But if you look at the verse, and you try to be very literal, if you look at verse 4, and you separate it from the rest of the, the, the verses, uh, verse 5 specifically, you, sh- you should see that it simply says, do not make yourself a carved image, so on and so forth. So if you were to take this verse out of context, and literally, it would mean we cannot make art of anything. Anything. Like, no art whatsoever. Don't make a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven. But we are to understand this verse 4 in context of verse 5, which goes on to say, you shall not bow down to them. You shall not serve them. So the making of the image is about not just the act of making something, but about whether we are going to use it for worship, not use it, whether we're going to worship it. Okay, and so let's dive in a little bit further into that even. I'm going to ask it this way. Um, I've been really tempted recently to get a tattoo. Actually, I've been thinking about it for like 10 years, but, and I finally actually have an idea. And then you like come face to face with a price tag and you're like, ah, forget it. Um, I don't have $500 for a tattoo. So let me ask this question. Can you get a Jesus tattoo? All right, can you get a Jesus tattoo? I believe scripture teaches that the answer is yes, you can get a Jesus tattoo. But let's look at a verse here, Exodus 25, which again, remember the Ten Commandments are given in Exodus 20. God continues to give more laws after that in subsequent chapters. And he says here, and make two cherubim out of the hammered gold at the ends of the, at the ends of, I'm sorry, lost my place. Um, make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other looking towards the cover. Now, I've read a lot of it. You really didn't need to hear all of it. But the point I simply want to make is, right after God gave the Ten Commandments, he also proceeded to give lots of instruction about how to make the temple, how to make different pieces of sculpture and art, and the and, and ark, and the ark, and the cherubs on the ark. Like, there's a lot of art, so to speak. There are a lot of images in the temple. Now, if we think this commandment is simply about not making any images of anything in heaven on earth, then we'd be like, well, God, well, then why did you give all these instructions about how to make the temple, what's to be in the temple, what are the artifacts in the temple? God gave um, these instructions to say, yes, art and images can even be a part of your worship. But again, the point is, you shall not worship these idols, images, artwork. So if I ask a question a little bit differently, can I worship Jesus through my tattoo? The answer would be no. If you put Jesus on your back, don't like look in the mirror and be like, oh Jesus, thou art great. 
Like, no, you can't worship Jesus through your tattoo. And Leviticus 26.1, and then Leviticus, we see a, a retelling of the commandments and the laws, says it a little bit more clearly in terms of understanding the second commandment. It says this, do not make idols, okay, this is one sentence, do not make idols or set up an image or a sacred stone for yourselves, and do not place a carved stone in your land to bow down before it. I am the Lord your God. That's a new sentence. But the first part was one sentence, and that makes it very explicit, the connection of making an idol and worshiping it. When it's first told in, in Exodus 20, it is two separate sentences, and somehow people then get confused about what is this meant to be. But if we're to really understand this verse, then we're to understand we're not to make images of God to represent him and then worship them. Okay, and so a clear case study is the golden calf. And I want you to remember, so this is in Exodus 32. Remember, well, if you weren't here last week, last week we looked at how God came down to Mount Sinai, and the scene was thunder and lightning and thick clouds and trumpet and darkness. And all of that was supposed to represent the holiness of God coming down to, to the Israelites. And it was so apparent to them as God's holiness came down to speak the Ten Commandments to them. They knew in their brokenness they could not stand before this holy God in and of themselves. And so they said to Moses, these were their words, You speak to us, Moses, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They could feel their complete inadequacy standing before a holy God. And so then Moses goes back up to God and receives much more revelation, instructions, guidance, laws that are described in chapters 21 to 31. Laws for their worship, laws for their society. Okay, so now there's chapter 32. I'm going to read some part of it here. When the people, uh, verse 1, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said, up, make us gods who shall go before us. Okay, remember, the Ten Commandments were given not that long ago. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. So just pause for a moment. If you're a parent in here, this is like you tell your kid not to do something and they just immediately do it. It's like, ah, oh, didn't I just say don't do that? Right? This is just what happened. Right? God said, do not make any image to worship. And what does... What do the people of God ask for? What does Aaron, the leader, proceed to do? The priests proceed to do? And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Now pause for a moment. You have to understand, they're not worshiping other gods here. They're saying, These things represent Yahweh, these things brought us out of Egypt. We shall have a feast to the Lord. Still very connected, their worship of God and these things that they've created, this golden... Verse 6, And they rose up early the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drank and rose up to play. 
Verse 22, Aaron and the people of God get confronted, and Aaron said, now you have to see the humor in this. Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. Okay, what, what does this sound like for, for a second here? Like Aaron taking responsibility? No. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, catch this, that any of you have gold, take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. I threw the gold into the fire and out came this calf. That's not, that's not what was said. Aaron fashioned the gold into a golden calf himself. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. Okay, some observations about this golden calf example. Okay, this just happened right after the Ten Commandments being given. They didn't stop believing in Yahweh. They were still worshiping Yahweh. But how were they worshiping Yahweh? They were worshiping Yahweh through this golden calf. They diminished God. They put God into a calf-shaped mold of gold so that they could manage him in a way that didn't make them face this awesome, loving, holy God who had just revealed himself to them. And even me phrasing it that way is very reductive of who God is. It was false worship because they disobeyed how God called them to worship. And this false worship was born out of their lack of trust in God, their, their lack of patience, and it led to indulgence, this just party, let's party. It led to blaming and dishonesty on Aaron's part. It led to lack of self-control and it led to them being the laughing stock amongst the nations. Their witness was compromised because of their disobedience. Now, we, we talked about this briefly in last week's sermon, kind of as a sub-point, but we are always tempted to make God in our own image by picking and choosing what we like about God's revelation of himself in Scripture. Instead, what we are called to by God is to submit to who he has revealed himself to be in Scripture, not who we want to make him. Okay, let me give an example. This is Storm Shadow. He's a G.I. Joe figure, okay? I love G.I. Joes growing up. Now, I, what I wanted to do was go to Target and find an Asian action figure, but I didn't have time, and then it snowed. So I, want, I was trying to find something that looked like me. Okay, Storm Shadow doesn't look like me, but he's a ninja, so he must be Asian, okay? So just think along those lines. Imagine you decided this is going to sound so ridiculous. You decided, Didi, I don't want to relate to you anymore. I'm going to make Storm Shadow, and I'm going to relate to Storm Shadow instead. I don't want to talk to you. I'm going to talk to Storm Shadow. I'm like, but I'm right here. Talk to me. No, I would rather talk to Stomp Storm Shadow. He's much less scary than you are. I'm like, but I'm not a ninja. I, I don't care. I like, I like thinking of you as a ninja. I'm not a warrior, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I don't care, I like to think of you as a warrior. I would rather relate to you, Didi, as Storm Shadow. Okay, this sounds ridiculous, because you would never say, Didi, I'm not gonna relate to you, I'm gonna relate to this action figure, but that's exactly what happens in the story of the golden calf. Right now, I'm not that scary. 
I'm not that powerful. I'm not that holy. So we can understand the temptation that the Israelites face when they come before a holy God who they know is loving, but also is holy. And they don't know what to do with that tension. And they said, well, I'm just going to make a storm shadow and worship that instead because that's easier and more manageable. You can't have a relationship with any, anyone if you will not submit to their self-revelation. Do you hear this? You cannot have a relationship with anyone if you will not submit to their self-revelation. And if it's true for human relationships, it is that much more true for our relationship with God. The more we make God in our own image, just meaning whatever we want him to be in our minds, the less and less he becomes the God who has revealed himself in scripture. At some point, the God we have made according to our own imagination becomes a different God altogether. I don't know where that line is, but God says, this is who I am. And therefore, this is how you are to worship me. Don't worship me like this because I'm not this. Worship me as I've revealed myself. And I cannot be captured in any one image. Right? He is God. And this is the way the first commandment, worship God alone, relates to the second commandment of not worshiping God through any images. We sin against God and we grieve him when we worship him in the way we want to rather than the way in which he has revealed himself. The God of scripture is amazing, all-inspiring, astounding, comforting, challenging, convicting, so much more than the anemic, deconstructed version of God that we would rather believe in, in our brokenness. Let me take this illustration a little further, because this is ridiculous, right? None of you are going to do this. When I was at my last church, it was a big church, 3,000 members, and because it's such a big church, it's very hard to know people like you do in a smaller church like this. So a lot of times people just see me up on stage when I'm preaching, when I'm giving announcements. So I'm just kind of like, it's almost like being a celebrity pastor, except for I wasn't a celebrity. At least 3,000 people maybe thought I was a celebrity and important. But I remember I was, uh, there was a grocery store near church, and I went there on the way home to get some groceries. And I ran into a member of the church who I'd never met, I didn't know. And they're like, oh, Pastor Didi, what are you doing here? You buy groceries too? Yep, just a regular guy getting groceries on the way home. Just needed some vegetables for dinner. It's like he couldn't conceive that I was anything but the guy on stage, right? But yes, I'm a pastor. I'm also a husband. I'm a father. I'm a friend. I'm a brother. Now, what if you insist on relating to me only as a pastor, and not recognize anything else that I am. What if I talk to you and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, my three boys, they're doing great, you know, and whatever, I tell some story about them and you just blank over. 
and start asking me some theological question? What if I start talking about my relationship with my wife and like, oh, you know, I'm struggling with being a good husband, blah, 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 and you just kind of blank over and you start talking about church? Like, how, how would I feel? Like, okay, yes, I'm a pastor, but like, I'm a human, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a friend. What if you could only conceive of me as a pastor and nothing else? Right? What I would say, one, is, yes, it would hurt me. But two, you would miss out a lot about me. A pastor is one thing that I am. But I'm so much more than that. And I'm just a limited, finite human being. Now, this illustration has the danger of being misconstrued as a cry for help. Please, relate to me as a person. That's not the point. I could have made the illustration, turned it around, and made it about you. But it is true that you are probably, in some ways, tempted to see me only as a pastor and not the other things. In the same way that you can be tempted to make God just one or two things and not the entirety of what he reveals himself to be. But really, you can relate to this. What is it like for you when your boss treats you only as a worker and you try to tell them about your personal life, your family, and they're just like, produce, submit the report, right? That's not a good feeling when you try to relate to someone as a human being and all the different aspects of you and they just don't want to hear about it. We might get used to that in certain contexts, but regardless, we want to be seen and accepted for all that we are. And in the same way, God desires to be seen and submitted to for all that he is. Now it is submit because he's God. It's not a peer relationship like we think of it here. He is the creator. Again, who he is cannot be represented by one image, whether that's a physical image or one mental image of who we think God is. When we reduce God to one image or two images or even three images, we flatten the personality of God. To worship God really is to simply to relate to God in the manner that he is worthy and he is the fullness of personality. The more we make God in our own image without submitting to his description of himself, then less and less he will be the creator and redeemer God that he's revealed for himself to be. And more and more he just becomes a God that we have created in our own imagination. And in the end, if we do that, is that not just worshiping ourselves then? And that's really scripture's argument against worshiping idols. Like, you created this yourself. You are in control of this. You programmed it. Why would you worship something that you created yourself? That doesn't make any sense. Deep down, we all have a desire for a personal relationship with God. If we want a personal relationship with God, we have to allow God 
to be God, to be who he says he is. Otherwise, we're having a relationship with something else altogether. And this is why we need to read scripture, by the way. Not because it's some random rule that Jesus said, read your Bible. It's because that's literally how we get to know God. That's literally how he has chosen to reveal himself about who he is. Imagine if you just started dating someone and your girlfriend wrote you this really long letter to describe who she is. And you're like, nah, I'm not going to read it. I like to think of her as a sweet, quiet, serving girl. Maybe in her letter she said something completely, entirely different about who she is. And you're like, nah, I'm not going to read it. I like to think of her this way. How often do we do that with God? I'm not going to read the Bible or wrestle with the difficult things in it because I would just prefer to see God in a certain way. And it's very easy to do this. Like, imagine some common ways in which we can make God into our own image. We can think of God as like the doting grandfather. We can think of God as like Santa, but on steroids. We could think of God as a slave driver. Or we can, I don't know, think about all kinds of paraphernalia that you could buy or t-shirts. Like, Jesus is my homeboy. Or Jesus is my co-pilot. Or Jesus is my boyfriend. Right? That's, we, we reduce God into one image. And that's not all that he is. And so my question to you as you wrestle with this is, is there some characteristic of God which is true that you unbiblically make more important than anything else about him? That you have decided to define God in a very certain way, emphasizing one characteristic above all else. Are you projecting an image onto God of your own making rather than submitting to God's self-revelation about who he is? We can't have a personal relationship with God if we won't submit to his self-revelation of who he is. Now, Scripture tells us, right, we, we've talked about what is the desire here, the pre-fall desire that this commandment reflects to, but we believe Scripture teaches that Jesus is the fulfillment of this commandment. Why should we worship God in the image of His Son? I believe we do so because, again, ultimately, it brings a personal and relational relationship with God. God has revealed himself with the Hebrew name Yahweh, which means the Lord. And God's name is important because in ancient Near Eastern times, a name is not just a name. It's not just Bob because mom called him Bob when he was born. His name is an essence. Names in ancient Near Eastern culture were the essence of who someone is. So when God says, I am Yahweh, when God defines himself as I am who I am, that gives the essence of who God is. He is above all things. He is the creator of all things. He is the definer of all things. God's name can't just be a name like El Shaddai, which he calls himself, because, and that means God Almighty, because he is not just God Almighty. Yahweh and I am who I am tells us that God's nature cannot be limited to one particular quality or characteristic. God has a full personality 
And he pursues us in relationship through Jesus. And Colossians 1.15 says, you heard it read earlier, says very specifically, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. We have to see this word image, how important it is in Scripture. Humankind was made, and we are image bearers. The commandments were given, and it says, do not make an image of God to worship. And here we see the fulfillment of what this commandment is supposed to be about. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We might be made like God, but we are not God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We are not to make images of God physically or mentally to worship. We are to worship God through Jesus Christ, his son. We have to be brought back to Jesus again and again and again and again and again. Because he is the image of the invisible God. He is God made visible to us. He is God in the flesh. Christ is the fulfillment of this. And we hear it in Matthew 1.22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. God wants a personal relationship with us. And this incarnation is really the prime example of God wanting to be personal and relational to us. He's so committed to that, in fact, that he would take on flesh himself so that he could relate to humankind. He's so committed to it that he who had no sin became sin for us so that we could relate to him. He was so committed to it that Jesus took our place on the cross so that we could stand before the holy God and not be in fear anymore. One of my, one of my professors, John Frame, says this in his book, The Doctrine of the Christian Life. So idols are lies, not because God is invisible or cannot be pictured, but because idols fail to picture what is most important about him, his personality, meaning his ability to see, hear, speak, and interact with his creatures. Without personality, God cannot judge. Good news for unbelieving hedonists, but bad news for the universe. And without personality, God cannot love. Bad news for everybody. Only Jesus Christ fulfills the criteria of an image of God to whom man, man shall bow down. He is personality in its fullness, seeing, hearing, smelling, speaking, judging, loving. He is our creator, not a mere creature. Worship of him brings salvation, not destruction. Those who bow down to him become like him in abundant life rather than death and in the fulfillment of personality rather than its destruction. Some of you read books about this. The reality is we become what we worship. So that includes our conception of God is what we will become like. And the question is, is our conception of God God's self-revelation about himself? We want to be formed into Christ's likeness. We want to become in God's image and restored to his original intentionality for us. 
if God is the fullness of personality and we are his image bearers, then we too are created for fullness of personality. The funny thing about worshiping God made in our own image is that, yes, it flattens God's personality, but in doing so, we also flatten our own personality. Think again. We worship. We become what we worship. Right? So whatever is of the highest value to us, we become like that thing. And so we worship the God who has revealed himself in Scripture, who is the fullness of personality, then we will be shaped into that fullness of personality as well. C.S. Lewis says it this way in Mere Christianity. The more we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let him take over, the more truly ourselves we become. The more I resist him and try to live on my own, the more I become dominated by my own heredity and upbringing and surroundings and natural desires. In fact, what I so proudly call myself becomes merely the meeting place for trains of events which I never started and which I cannot stop. It is when I turn to Christ, when I give myself up to his personality, that I first begin to have a real personality of my own. At the beginning, I said there were personalities in God. I will go further now. There are no real personalities anywhere else. Until you have given up yourself to him, you will not have a real self. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep nothing back. Nothing that you have not given away will ever be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. We cannot worship God any way we want. We cannot mold God into the shape that we prefer. One, because he deserves to be worshipped for who he is, not who we want him to be. We must submit to God's self-revelation of himself in scripture. And yes, because God is worthy, but also because our longing is for a relationship with this God who is creator, that we can relate to him personally, and also so that we can become who God has always intended for us to be. When we worship God through our own image making, we cannot become truly who he has called us to be. So we must turn again and again to the gospel, to all the ways in which we want to mold God into our own imagination, our own liking, and say, God, forgive me. Help me to wrestle again and again with who you say you are so that you can be glorified and so that I can be shaped into your likeness, into the fullness of who you've intended me to be. That's my hope for you. That's my hope for myself. Let's pray.